welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Come on, what a great day to be in church. Are you thankful that you made it to church today? Welcome, everybody, to River Valley. I want to extend a special welcome to everybody watching online, knowing that there are people traveling for this holiday weekend. Church, can we welcome everybody watching online? We're so grateful that you're joining us. Uh, Why don't you grab your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 7, and that's where we're going to be hanging out today, and I'm real honored and thrilled to be able to share God's Word with you today. And uh, we are going to be preaching a message and taking notes, right? (laughs) Talking about the firm foundation that is Jesus, the firm foundation that is Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Title of the message today. I already told you, firm foundation, firm foundation. Write that down if you're taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, start taking notes and write down that title, firm foundation. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we're grateful to be in your presence. We're grateful for your word. and We don't take lightly time that we spend in your word. So God, I pray that as we open up your word, would you open up our ears to hear from heaven, and would you open up our hearts to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. One might say that I was born to play in the sand. One might say that. Uh, They would say that because I was uh, born in Florida, Sarasota, Florida, on vacation, six weeks early, Everybody's like, whoa, my mom's okay, I'm okay. 33 years later, we all made it, praise the Lord. But one might say that I was born to play in the sand. You also might say that because I am quite gifted at building things out of sand. Uh, I will never forget, there was one day when we were at the beach on this family vacation. This is a vacation that we've taken every single year uh, before I was born. That's why I was born on that vacation. And since then, And so you would say that I am uh, quite a sand connoisseur. Is that the right word to say? I think it is. Uh, Am I a prodigy? Maybe. I might be. I don't know. Uh, I'll let you be the judge of that in just a moment. But I'll never forget, there was one time where I was uh, on the beach and we were wanting to build some sand castles and some sand uh, other things that you build out of sand. And uh, there were some professionals that were building vehicles out of sand, like cars and trucks. Saw what they were building and I thought to myself, (laughs) I can do that? No problem. That's easy money. So I started to build. 
And uh, my parents were so proud of me that they thought they would take a photo of me. And so if we have that photo, can we just show this photo? So you can see, you can see the cars that the professionals built on the top left. I wanna draw your attention to my piece of work down at the bottom of the photo. Am I amazing at building things out of sand? Look at the detail. That square in the front is the hood. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, I'm quite gifted. Um, and uh, I know, you're in the presence of greatness. Uh, I'll never forget building that and thinking to myself after we went to bed that night, I cannot wait to wake up and see that masterpiece. And wouldn't you know it, I woke up with the sun and ran to the beach like I was an artist about to check out their masterpiece and it was gone. Mine was gone, the professionals was gone, Everything was gone. I thought to myself, all of this work, all of this sunburn was for nothing. It's for nothing. And here's why I bring all of that up is because I'm a little concerned at times that we have Christians that will look back on their life after everything is done, maybe after some storms in life, and they'll look back on the things that they've built and they'll say to this, themselves, all of that was for nothing. And if we're not building on the right foundation, we might look back and say all of that was for nothing. But Jesus has a better way. Jesus has a better way for us to live. In Matthew chapter 7, we see the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. But this is so much more than just the conclusion of a sermon. It's so much bigger than that. You see, much of Jesus' life is a mirrored picture of the children of Israel. If you think about Jesus' life and mirroring the children of Israel, uh, Mary and Joseph fled Egypt with Jesus, which mirrors the Israelites fleeing Egypt. Jesus was baptized and went through the waters of baptism, and the Israelites went through the waters of the Red Sea. Jesus surrounded himself with 12 disciples, which mirrors the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus was 40 days in the desert, which mirrors the journey of the Israelites spending 40 years in the desert. I could go on and on and on, but I want to stop here at this point in the book of Matthew because as we look in the book of Matthew, if you read the entire book, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience who would be very familiar with the life and the journey of the children of Israel. For they were the children of Israel. And if you look at the way that the book of Matthew is broken up, it's broken up into five different sections. And at the end of each of those sections, it says this phrase, after he finished these words, or after he finished these sayings, or after he finished teaching his disciples, and this is one of those moments. So there's five sections. If you look at the books of Moses, it's five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Jesus, when he gives this Sermon on the Mount, which ends with the parable that we read, and then it ends after that by saying, after he has finished these things, I want you to go back into your mind to Exodus chapter 19, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai 
to hear from the Lord, hear from God on how the people of God are supposed to relate to him, how they are supposed to approach him. And Moses went up by himself to receive this law. Jesus took a group of people up a, a steep hill by, with him. They journeyed with him up this hill, and he gave this sermon. And that sermon began with this. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. Jesus, in this sermon, he breaks down by saying, you've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you it's this way. You've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you it's this way. Jesus, might, it might look as though he is, is trying to create a new law, but what Jesus is trying to do is not just preach a good sermon. What Jesus is doing is showing that there is a new way for God's people to relate to him, and it's through Jesus. As Moses went up the mountain to learn how the people are to relate to God, Jesus brought the people up the mountain as God and taught them a new way to relate to God through him. So this parable doesn't end the Sermon on the Mount, I don't believe. I believe that it actually begins the new way in which we as the children of God are to relate to him. So why does Jesus usher in this new way by talking about a parable about building your life on either a firm foundation or a shaky, sandy foundation? I think it's because we have the capacity for foolishness. You might be thinking, not me. Oh, yeah, you. <laughs> we all, we have the capacity for foolishness. We have some sandy tendencies in our life at times. And the, the, the scariest part about it is that our sandy tendencies, our shaky foundation that we build our life on can oftentimes be things that are actually good things in and of themselves. You think about physical health and taking care of yourself. Think about making money and being successful. Think about the relationships in your life. Those things in and of themselves can be good things, but anytime you make a good thing a foundational thing, it can become a dangerous thing. Where, where being successful is no longer trying to be a, a, a worker that's working unto the Lord, but you then start to, to work nights, weekends, miss key moments, stop taking care of your family emotionally and just trying to take care of them financially, and that becomes the thing that you chase, and you're no longer doing the thing that God put you in that job to do in the first place. Think about your physical health and, and fitness. It's no longer just trying to be healthy so that you can take care of the temple that God has given you, but you're just trying to look better than the person that's looking in the mirror next to you at the gym or at your neighbors, and you're trying to fix everything on the outside while everything on the inside is crumbling. Think about your relationships. Your relationships are people that you are supposed to love, people that you are supposed to love the way Jesus loves. But then too often we can start to find our identity in the relationships that we have. And we start to change things about ourselves so that we might be able to fit in a little bit better with those people. And before you know it, the person that God put into this relationship is no longer that person anymore because we have now conformed our lives to the way of these relationships and we are no longer the person that God created us to be for those relationships. Anytime you make a good thing a foundational thing, it can become a dangerous thing. And so it's so important that we build our lives on the right foundation. All of these things are good, but they are not eternal. All of these things are good, but they are not eternal. Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. So Jesus says this in the parable. If you obey these words of mine and you do them, you are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So this message is about the foundation that we build our lives on. So let's get a little bit foundational. We build our lives on Jesus. We build our lives on the person of Jesus, on the words of Jesus, and on the works of Jesus. That's what we build our lives on. For, uh, John chapter one says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's an interesting sentence. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We believe and build our lives on the person of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He always existed. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He always has been. He always will be. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He's the vine. He's the bread of life. He's the stone that the builders rejected that became the foundation cornerstone. He is everything that we could ever need. The King of kings, the great I am, the Lord of lords. This is the Jesus that we build our lives on. And if we're building our lives, if we're building our lives on a different Jesus, it's going to be a shaky foundation. This is the Jesus that we build our lives on. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from, from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through, him, uh, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the Jesus that we build our lives on. And the world is not comfortable with this all the time. But again, we are not people of comfort or convenience, but people of conviction. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And this is the Jesus that we build our lives on. We build our life on the person of Jesus. And we build our lives on the words of Jesus. Jesus' simple statement that he said at the beginning of this parable, if you, if, if you take these words that are of mine and you obey them, you'll be like a wise man. Most of the rabbis of that time would not say such a bold statement. They would say something like, if you obey these words of Moses, if you hear these words of Elijah and you obey them, if you hear these words of this prophet and you obey them, but Jesus says, if you obey these words as, uh, of mine and you obey them. Jesus was declaring his divinity and his direction for our lives in one sentence. If you obey these words of mine. Jesus is not asking us to look at his words and use them just as principles for our life, just as principles for our family, for our business, 
Although, if you do that, it's not a bad idea. It's a good thing to do. It might work out well for you. But Jesus is calling us to surrender. To surrender. John 15 says this, Abide in me, just as Jesus talking. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I've read and applied this scripture to my life the wrong way many times. I've applied it this way. If I read my Bible and pray every day, I will grow, grow, grow. Anybody know that song? I took that that scripture and I would apply it to my life saying, if I read my Bible, then things are gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. Everything's gonna be perfect. I'm gonna be fruitful. I'm I'm gonna be fruitful. I don't know what kind of fruit, hopefully good ones, but I'm gonna be fruitful. If I read my Bible, it's like a transactional thing. But God did not do this for a transactional relationship. This is a transformational relationship. Abiding in him and him abiding in us means that he is now our source of life. Meaning that without Jesus, we cease to exist. I think oftentimes we look at that passage of scripture and we think that it's like going to the ocean and taking a little communion cup's worth of ocean water and taking a sip and saying, we abided with the Lord. But what it means is we need to give our entire selves to the Lord, soak ourselves in there, get ourselves drowned in the presence of Jesus so that without him we cannot even function. That's what it means to abide in him and him in us. And we believe all of the Bible. But more importantly, we believe that every single part of the Bible narrative points to Jesus. And it's gonna take our entire lifetime. This is part of the joy of our life as disciples of Jesus to read his word and take what he says and apply it to our lives and immerse ourselves in the, in the text of scripture and see the narrative from Genesis to Revelation and see who Jesus is, the Jesus of scripture and apply what he says to our lives and live out what he says in his word. That's gonna take our entire lives and it's the greatest joy and honor that we have as a disciple of Jesus. But can I just give you one lens that we can look through as we think about this new way that Jesus is ushering in in this very moment for his people to relate to God, that he is declaring himself God? It says this in John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is teaching his followers that this new way is not just to love God because that was the highest order of the law was to love God. But he's saying that the greatest way for us to love God is this new commandment, which is by loving others. The old way of relating to God, the way that God's people saw it, was as long as I'm good with God, things out here with you, it's okay if they're a little suspect. As long as I'm clean with God, things are okay if they're a little rocky between us. But Jesus comes and he ushers in a whole new way 
saying that the way that we love God is actually through loving one another. Andy Stanley, in his book, Irresistible, he says this, No longer do we ask, what does the law require of me? But rather we ask, what does love require of me? The foundation that we build on with Jesus in our lives as our foundation is not one of law, but it's of love. And when Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love, he actually says that it is the fulfillment of the law. That in this is the fulfillment of all the law. So oftentimes, I mean, at least for me, maybe not you, maybe you were a a different teenager than I was, a different kid than I was growing up, but I always thought to myself and would ask my youth leaders, would ask my youth pastor, how far can I go before it's sin in any direction, in any situation? What can I get away with? Where is the line? Have you ever asked that question before? Of course you haven't. (laughs) But I asked that question many times in my life. And when Jesus ushers in this new way of relating to him, this new way to approach God, he's not saying it's, it's just about getting, dotting every I, crossing every T before you get as close to the line as you possibly can. But what he's saying is that love is the line. So let's break that down for just a second. If we're gonna build our lives on this, let's think this through. Why is it important that we, uh, let's use an example. Why is it important that we uh, stay pure before we get married? Why is that important? Well, watching the things that I'm watching, that's not hurting anybody. If, if we both agree that we can do what we're doing before we get married, it's not that big of a deal. We both agreed upon it. Okay, is that what the law says? Well, what does love say? Love says, I cherish my soul and the soul of this person so much that I'm not going to defile myself with the things that I watch, with the things that I listen to, with the things that I say, because I want to present myself to my spouse holy and unblemished, not perfect, but doing everything I can to set my mind and my expectations and my heart up for success in this marriage because I cherish this person. Could you get away with it? Sure, but is that what love says? No. In every situation, we can't just ask ourselves, what does the law say? How can I pick this apart to get away with what I wanna get away with? We ask ourselves, what does love say? And that's the love of Jesus that we build our lives on. That's the love of Jesus we build our lives on. We build our life on the work of Jesus. The apostle Paul was an expert in the old covenant. He would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He actually persecuted people who were building their lives in this new way. And after a real encounter with Jesus, with the way, the truth, and the life, he recognized what it meant to build his life on the work of Jesus. Now I'm talking about just this specific work of Jesus that we're about to read. Paul writes this, knowing his past, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter two. For I resolved to know nothing while I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
He writes this in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. In the Amplified, it says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, useless, amounting to nothing. And your faith is also vain, imaginary, unfounded, devoid of value and benefit, not based on truth. But now, as things really are, Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. And he became the first fruits. That is, the first to be resurrected with an incorruptible, immortal body, foreshadowing the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in death. Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Jesus did a lot of great things. The Bible is full of great exploits. But our faith is founded on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we have hope. That's why we believe what we believe. There's so many great things in the Bible, so many great stories, so many great exploits. But we don't believe what we believe and give our life for any of those things, though we believe them to be true. We do. But it's not because Noah was in the ark with the animals two by two that we give our lives and build our lives on Jesus. It's not because David killed Goliath with a sling and a stone, which we do believe that that happened. But that's not the work that we build our life on. We build our life on the finished work of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Every single exploit and story and character that we see in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, is pointing to Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. And everything we see after that is is looking back at what Jesus did with his death, burial, and resurrection and how we are to live our lives, building it on the work of Jesus. This is what we build our lives on. The parable says that the rain came, the floods rose, the wind blew, and it beat against the house. Storms are the only thing in this parable that we don't get a say in. Whether you build on strong foundation or you build on sandy foundation, storms are going to come. My goodness, look at the world that we live in right now. Like before we can solve a problem, a new problem happens. Before we can solve a world crisis, another crisis takes place. Storms are happening all the time. And you might just think about your own life, your own life. And you might think, oh, my, but my life is fine. My life is good. And, and here's the thing about that. It might be, but at some point you will die. There's a guarantee. <laughs> Let's be encouraged in the Lord, right? It's bound to happen. Storms come. And the promise is not that when you build your life on Jesus, everything's gonna be perfect. But in the perfection of Jesus, even if this life falls to pieces, there's a greater reality that we live for beyond this life. I wanna close with this story from David Livingstone, who was a missionary I read about this missionary to Africa. His name's David Livingstone. And he faced great storms, disease, lion attacks, great loneliness, especially after his wife died. 
And after 16 years in Africa, he returned to give a lecture at the University of Glasgow. One of his arms was useless as the result of a lion attack. And his body was wasted from 27 bouts with malaria. His face was full of wrinkles from the wear and tear of daily living. And a hush crept over the students as he spoke. He said these words, shall I tell you what sustained me amidst the trials and hardships and loneliness of my exiled life? It was the promise, it was a promise, the promise of a gentleman of the most sacred honor. It was the promise of lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. And at Livingstone's death, his body was found bent in prayer, kneeling at his bed. And his Bible was open to Matthew 28, 20, which reads, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And in the margin next to that scripture, he had written the word of a gentleman. This is a life built on the firm foundation of Jesus.